Fuentes, welcome to the Conspiracy Castle. How are you doing, my friend? I am good. It's great to be with you, Alex. Okay, wow, Nick. You know, this is like, you know, people are, you know, I've got a lot of text messages. That, you know, I think you've said it. I've told a couple of people. I didn't publicize it too much because I know. I, okay, I you're a 23-year-old young man, and you're already one of the most popular slash hated men in America. And I, and I look up to that. Even as your elder, I'm 35, so I'm a lot older than you. I really look up to the damage you've caused to the New World Order already but this is my point is i now ever since i've gotten popular i do comedy shows and dude every venue i go to and i have a show white supremacists you know sexist racist and they've been able to shut down a couple of my shows they shut down a show this week at the dallas comedy house here in dallas and they moved it to a bar i have a comedy show after this tonight so i'm saying well, how do you deal with the constant um banning and when did you start getting banned nick like when did you notice you started getting banned um, well, I first started getting banned. I want to say it was around fall 2018. And, um, you know, I, I knew that this was going to be the trajectory because the writing was on the wall really after Trump got elected that uh, big tech is not going to cater to right wing people. And the further right you are, the less time uh, that you'll have and the less tolerance that they have for you. And so it was around probably fall 2018, I think, when it, it started to come down. PayPal, Stripe, Streamlabs, Patreon, you know, and then over the course of the past two years, everything else, TikTok, YouTube, Reddit, Twitter, you name it, I'm banned from it. Um, and all that you really can do is just keep adapting. There's there's actually no permanent solution, I don't think right now, to all the deplatforming. There's not really a good fix, but you just got to keep staying ahead of it, which is what I've tried to do with uh, at first DLive, then Cozy TV, and, and all these other solutions we've come up with. Um, so so it's been really ever since I got started, I've been getting deplatformed as well. Wow. And then I want to get into that. But the DLive thing, I know you were the number one guy on DLive. So they had your back for a little bit. And what did they just get so much hate? They just said they said F this. I mean, well, who why does DLive even care if you're giving them all those lemons and stuff and they have nobody else that carries it? It's basically a dead streaming service. I mean, I, I don't I, I'm on it right now. We're on it right now. I don't know how many people we have watching, but 
if you're the number one guy, not that you're not popular, why would they take you off? They kind of need you in my mindset. Well, they did. I was the number one streamer by far, number one earner. You know, there was a time when I was on D Live where I was literally 50% of the views and the money on the entire site. So it was everyone else on the site in terms of money and views. And then there was me and it was 50-50. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, you're right. They kept me around. I think I started there in like May 2019 and they banned me uh, after the 6th. Um, because, you know, you know, it's, and this is why I say there's no permanent solution right now to the censorship. It's because even they, as a platform, were beginning to get censored themselves for having me on. And so there was a time when their payment processor called Tripalti, the payment processor called the company and said, if you keep Nick Fuentes on the platform, we will not process payments for your company. So it's like DLI. So it's not just me getting deplatformed. It's the companies that platform me getting deplatformed further up the ladder. Um, and so a few of those things happened. And then January 6th happened and they got subpoenaed by the government. And they said, you know what? We're just, we're banning everybody involved with this. And so they finally wow. got to- They sent them a subpoena for January 6th bullshit? Oh yeah. my God. For what? For oh, I don't even want to get into that yet because we have to say we're on YouTube, so we want to say that this was the most fair election that ever happened in the history of <laughs> yeah. elections, and that Joe Biden got every one bit of eighty-one million votes. Okay, but okay, but I want to get to I want to you know because Nick, obviously, I'm like I said, I'm not going to sit here and just fanboy you a lot, but I'm saying in such your young age, right now, I'm sure you know you've you've been able to adapt and you have cozy, but I know it's still stressful. But in my mindset, you got to look at the big picture. It's like you've created a brand, like Alex Jones has created a brand that even though it's hated, that almost makes you the Streisand effect. The more they mm. try to ban you, the more people want to actually find you, find out who you are. And I, I think that's real. I know it sucks you can't be on the normal platforms, but have you noticed that like your loyal fans are super loyal in that sense, Nick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, I will say about the Streisand effect, there, there's really true, but only up to a certain point. And, okay. and I want to get that across because, you know, there is this sort of conventional wisdom among the uh, conservatives and it's almost based on spite. They say something like, you know, oh, you know, you're banning us on Twitter. Well, that's OK, because that just helps us. And it's like, yeah, it, it helps you for like a week and then yeah. it stops helping you, <laughs> you know, very quickly and hurts you over time um, because the the social media companies drive on that network effect. So it's like, if you're not on the platforms, like you might as well be dead. There's just no traffic that, that comes in without the platforms. Now, fortunately, like you said, I have built a brand where we have an extremely loyal, young online following. And so I've actually ported my audience, you know, if I was getting nine, 10,000 viewers a night on DLive, I'm getting six, 7,000 viewers a night on Cozy. So that's 60, 70% of the audience is carried over, which is very high. As far as retention goes, there are not many other people. I don't know if there's any other person that is able to go um, and directly transfer their audience from a mainstream platform to an alternative platform and then from an alternative platform to a proprietary platform and have that level of retention. I don't know that that's ever happened. So I'm grateful for it. But unfortunately, these things are just I, I don't know that they're going to be long term, really, really adequate fixes for the problem. We'd like to be on the platforms, but Right now, there's really no way out uh, unless and until there's some kind of act of God or Trump or Elon Musk or something like that. So uh, so that that's sort of how it's been. Well, Andrew Breitbart said that he predicted this in the future that they'll will be so mass centered, there'll be Internet ghettos. And that's kind of what you've created, basically, with Cozy. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's kind of weird. It's like 
They say you don't like Jewish people, but you created the Jewish ghetto. You created <laughs> internet Jewish ghetto. So good for you, Nick. Okay, but no, now, now let's get to your starting point. This is so how, when I was 23, I was a drunk. I just graduated college. I was an idiot. I, I knew Barack Obama was douchey, but I didn't know that his wife was a boy. I didn't know that, you know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of crap I didn't know. I not, not that I, I just didn't care. You know, I was so worried with, you know, whatever stupid stuff, my, my girlfriend at the time or whatever stupid crap, the Dallas Cowboys. How did you become so based so young? Like what got you involved in, in politics in that sense? Cause I, I didn't get into it till I realized nine 11 was not what they told us. That's kind of what woke me up. Yeah, well, I didn't learn that until much later. I got started in politics when I was like a young kid. And it's it's actually not a super interesting story. I mean, I just I was kind of a nerd. I just like to read books. Uh, probably in middle school, I started reading about politics. And uh, I was your average conservative. I was like a neocon, neolib. I mean, everything that I despise now, I was all of that when I was like 14 years old. You know, I was like, a ben, Shapiro, a ben Shapiro simp, and I was all about like Bill Whittle <laughs> and Andrew Clavin and all you know all that kind of stuff. I was like at a fourteen at fourteen. Wow, yeah. what the heck, Nick? Go <laughs> go watch a Marvel movie. I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So you're like you're really deep into politics at fourteen, and then what was the machinations of becoming Nick Fuentes? Um, so you know, then I go to college and everything changes. I go to college and where where'd you go? Where'd you go? Uh, Boston University. Up in Boston. You and yeah, AOC yeah. are, are That's uh, right. classmates? Wow. Would be you alumni. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. see her at the, uh, the reunion party. Right? My girlfriend. Yeah, okay. That's yeah, right, we got to yeah. talk really nice about her. Okay, okay. So you got to. Uh, to yeah, you go to uh, Big Booty Latina Booty. But you go to a great school, Boston University. But, dude, talk about a terrible place, Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I say terrible. It's probably, I don't know. I haven't spent that much time there, but I imagine it's pretty leftist especially boston university harvard all those kind of weird people super liberal yeah because it's all it's all college students in boston and boston's the most educated city in, in america so you know you get a lot of these like affluent white female liberals and a lot of asian immigration there too and second gen asians are all liberal so it's like it is like one of the most liberal places in in the country in the world maybe and um, so I go there and, and I'm in college and also the Trump election is going on. And those two things created this kind of like world historical moment where so many things became apparent, like how you discovered 9-11 was fake. Like I started to see that immigration is like the real threat to the country, not the budget or the deficit, rather, not the taxes or, uh, you know, so-called socialism. But it's people pouring across the border and it's globalists that have made the government corrupt and it's these foreign wars and so on. And so I met a, a pretty good group of friends in college and they all represented kind of like different factions of the alt-right at the time. Like I had a friend who was like really into Richard Spencer and I had a friend who was really into Jordan Peterson, a friend who was really into Stefan Molyneux. And I was like, the I was the least based one there. I was the Ben Shapiro guy. And I'm like, okay. Ronald Reagan was awesome. Okay. And like, but I became like a red pill, like, you know, hardcore far right extremist and dropped out after a year. And I started the show um, uh, independently in August 2017 after Charlottesville. Wow. Yeah. Cause I know Charlottesville is kind of, kind of put you on the map, but what were you one of the Tiki torch guys or something? Is that what it was? That what it was? Which is fine. I don't care. I mean, no, just, that, is that, uh, is that not true? I don't know. Is that, yeah. What was, what was your connection with Charlottesville? I mean, I barely really had an, if I had involvement, I would say it, I'm not ashamed, yeah. but I really, that, that's the funny part is that put me on the map, but I really had no involvement because I wasn't at the Tiki Torch thing. 
I arrived the next morning for the big yeah. rally at Lee Park. And literally by the time I left my hotel, it was over. Like they had dispersed the whole thing. And so I joined up with some people and we were kind of marching through the streets. And uh, we went to this McIntyre Park and then I left. I was there for like two hours. And then it was like Area Teen in the Chicago Tribune. Area Teen rallies with neo-Nazis at Charlottesville. <laughs> it was like I was there for an hour. You know? I like yeah. posted on Facebook about it. So... That's, That's what they say. Thing. They say I'm a proud boy because I went, I called out Dan Crenshaw and there was other proud boys there. Not that I'm a proud boy. I'm just saying there was proud boys like at the event. So of course, you know, they're going to label you neo-Nazi and all this stuff. I mean, that's just, the media has to be sensational. That's sensationalism. I think it's like, it's like pretty obvious, but for the people playing at home, they're not, they don't know. They're just like, Oh, this, Oh, he held the tiki torch. He's a white supremacist. But on, uh, uh, I know a little bit about you. You love Kanye West. So obviously That's you're right. not a white supremacist. So how could you be a, how could you be a white supremacist if you love Kanye West? I know. Yeah. And I like, I don't just like him. He's like my idol. You know, he's like, yeah. I think he's a genius. And there's a, there's this journalist named Nick Martin who is oh, the worst. These- I'm very familiar with him. Oh my God. He's so yeah. bad. He's, he's so bad. Okay. Horrible. Yeah. But, but, you know, so I was on Twitter not too long ago on a burner account and I was arguing with him about this because he tweeted about it. He's like, it's so weird because Nick is a, on the one hand, he's I know he's an evil white supremacist, but he worships Kanye. Maybe there's some angle I just don't know about there. Is it because Kanye visited Trump? I'm like, maybe you're just wrong. Like, do you ever think like you're just wrong? And we got a big yeah. fight about it on Twitter. And, uh, you know, these people just don't get it. Um, so yeah, they think it's all based on hate and it's like, you know, I, I don't know why that they have to demonize everything and make it by gender and color and race. Cause that that's racist. You know how they dictate everything and they put it, you know, Oh, because you're a white male cis, like that's racist towards white male cis. I mean, right. whatever, whatever, uh, you know, dialogue they use, it's like all of the left wing stuff is kind of based in this like dog whistle racism. Uh, and, and then people like you that aren't afraid to say their opinion, of course, are like, oh, well, he doesn't, you know, he's uh, hates black people, which is obviously provably false, because if that was the case, why would you love Kanye West? I mean, duh. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, this is one of the things I learned very early on is, um, you know, what, what do we what do we mean when we say racism? Because if we're talking about like hating people on the basis of their skin color, that's just something that isn't going on. And to the extent that it is going on in the country, it's against white people. You know, if you look at where the racial hatred and racial animus is in the country, it doesn't come from the Republican Party, which strenuously tries to prove that it loves blacks and Hispanics and Asians. It's coming from Hollywood. It's coming from like a lot of Jewish people, like you know, Sarah Silverman or Bill Mayer, these types that say Seth that Rogen. Whites, exactly. Yeah. Seth Rogen that say that whites are evil. Christians are horrible. Southerners are idiots. It's always like a veiled and, or, or sometimes explicit anti-white hatred. That's the only real racism that goes on in the country. Um, so what, but, what did you what did you think of Seth Rogen's Satan Inc. movie that failed so bad? Him and Sarah, you, know, you said Sarah Silverman. And him, you know, they had that that Santa Inc. just making fun yeah. of Christianity. Why do they Why do they do that? And why do they get away with it? Because you know, I mean, why is that their target? Why Why are Christian people their target? I don't understand that. Uh, I think that um, as far as uh, well, 
you know, there's an ideological angle here. There's a class angle here. There's, there's a few different angles because it's like the elite all hate white Christians. And some of the elite are white and maybe they're even like Presbyterian or whatever themselves. And a lot of them are actually ethically and religiously Jewish or at the minimum ethically Jewish. And there's various reasons. I think that it's a class thing, like being seen as sort of white, uneducated is seen as like low class. There's also a religious angle that Jews are sort of alienated in America. You know, they didn't celebrate Christmas and they grew up in like this European Christian country and they're like, not those things. There's an animus that goes back thousands of years there if you study the relationship between Jews and Christians. And in particular, when you see Sarah Silverman and Seth Rogen, I think that that is just straight up. They hate Christians, they hate whites. And their attitude about it is so plain. You know, Sarah Silverman, she went on a, I think it was a special or a talk show and she said that she was dating some white conservative and he was putting up a flag in his front lawn like patriots do. And she said that it reminded her of Hitler. She's like, oh, and I see people like getting really about their flag. It reminds me of Hitler. And it's like, yeah, it's like kind of a funny joke or whatever. But it also kind of shows you this sort of this uh, like defensive attitude that they have, this sort of like pathological paranoia that like this particular group has being the out group in America. Um, and it's it's bound up with other things, classism, as well as, uh, you know, there's certain kind of culture going on. But there's a religious and a racial angle there as well. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny because uh, like Jordan Peterson did a thing, you know, he's like said, you know, uh, hey, Christian churches, hey, Muslim churches. Yeah. But I didn't notice he didn't say anything to, uh, uh, you know, hey, synagogues. I didn't notice that. But, you know, I guess because you can't really talk about, you know, I'm Stein, so I'm not, I'm not a practicing Jew. My grandfather didn't raise my dad, so uh, uh, he was Jewish. So I was actually raised Christian. But my point being is I, I do believe anti-Semitism is real. I mean, you know, it's as real as everything else. There's people that hate you because you're Jewish. There's people that hate you because you're white. There's people that hate you because you're black. That exists. But that's not the majority of people. I think that's a very small amount of people. But if there's enough people in power that have those feelings, then it trickles down and, and it causes us a lot of problems. Yeah, that's true. And the problem is that, um, you know, we need to be able to talk about the things that go on within our country about the different groups, because, you know, all the groups are relevant. We can talk about white people and we can talk about black people and Muslims and Jewish people. Um, and we need to be able to talk about those things plainly and systematically. Of course, I think that any kind of expression of prejudice or hatred uh, is primitive. I, I really do believe that it's primitive to hate somebody because of, you know, they are black or they are Jewish. Uh, but that being said, you know, like when we look at crime, you can't really talk about crime in America without talking about black people. It's a racial, there's a racial um, sort of dimension of that conversation. We can talk about that without being, you know, without this primitive hatred of, of people. And the same thing is true about like, you know, media or, or foreign policy. Can you really talk about foreign policy without talking about Israel? It's very relevant. And the they're our is, biggest ally, Nick. Do not say anything about <laughs> Israel. They're, they're, we yeah. wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Israel. Thank you so much, Israel. That's, forget, about, yeah. forget about Palestine. We love you, Israel. No, no, no you're 100% right. And you you went to the uh, Anthony Cumia School of Broadcasting, too, because you know you love, uh, you know, he agrees with you, too, on uh, a lot of the stuff you say. And, you know, I, I this is the thing. It's like I always think about the elephant in the room, and we can't say anything bad about the Fauci. Ouchie. It's a great thing in the world. But it's like sudden adult death syndrome. You know, they won't even talk about that or, you know, they even say that there's like an instance one in 500 has like a negative occurrence from you know what and the media doesn't talk about that so i think like the racial divide and stuff we can't have or we'll never have a real conversation about that either because there's just some things they'll never talk about in a in a pragmatic real way which is kind of frustrating for somebody that's actually paying attention to what's going on in the world 
Well, yeah, and it really all goes back to they're not going to permit anybody to say anything that will or even begin the conversation that will lead to serious questions about who's running the show and why things are the way that they are. You know, because once you begin this conversation about like, uh, you know, whatever it is, crime or foreign policy or the vaccine, you know, then it really calls into question kind of the fundamental organizing principle of the society. And it's like, you know, what, what is the deal with science? What is the deal with the sort of pharmaceutical industry? Because it's not just the vaccines. The pharmaceutical industry is corrupt even beyond and before the current situation. Um, you know, so as always, it's about money being made. It's about power. And uh, to the extent that words and ideas give us power, they don't want us to have those things. They want us to watch TV. They want us to go on Twitter and read a regulated press. You know, that's been the story from day one. And it's not different now. No, you're 100% right. And uh, so tell me this, though, when you talk about conservatism and you talk about the pharmaceutical industry, you know, one thing that I say is I'm anti-establishment. I don't even want to be considered left wing or right wing because there's so many right wings that just right wingers that are just, you know, so cringe like Dan Crenshaw and, you know, guys that are basically globalists that call themselves conservatives because I'm, you know, I don't like war. But when we talk about the pharmaceutical industry, what do you what do you think about like, you know, have some sort of universal health care, some sort of free health care, because we are at least caps on what they charge. I mean, at least affordable health care. Don't you think that that's kind of a populist thing? Uh, uh, what's your I just like to get your opinion. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I think that um, the health care conversation is interesting because it gets away from an ideological conversation. It's a question about efficacy, which is really how public administration should be viewed, which is, you know, r- rather than this like uh, well, healthcare is a human right. And like, well, no, the, you have a right to buy and sell goods and services to whomever you'd like without government interference. These are both ideological statements saying that healthcare is a right and saying that we have like the free market is a moral issue. I mean, these are both like ideological moral views. I think we need to think of ourselves as a society and the government as something that needs to take care of the society. And in the sense of administer public services to the society in an efficacious manner. So in my view, as far as uh, healthcare goes, I'm not. A, healthcare is a very difficult, very complex industry. But I support something like maybe a universal, high deductible health insurance for everybody, so that, like, you know, when they talk about people getting hit by a car, cancer, and like getting turned away, I mean, that never happens. They go to the hospital, but you know, maybe you give everybody some baseline level of coverage so that you know, no one's going to die or, or be indebted. Um, and, and so some minimal level like that, I think would be acceptable. The real problem, though, what's driving up the healthcare costs is Medicare. I think everybody knows that is Medicare is what's driving all of that up. Um, so you need some kind of reform of the entitlements. We've got this very bad hybrid system. We do spend more on healthcare. Healthcare is one of the biggest industries in the country. Um, but I think that it needs to be viewed in, in the sense of we want everyone to have affordable health care. So what's the best way to do that? I don't think that ideology really enters into that conversation too much. And you're very smart when you talk about this stuff. OK, so you look at uh, Joe Biden taking us off the, you know, fossil fuels is what they say, which is just ludicrous. And now they said he's going to actually close down a lot of the oil and gas businesses in, in the Gulf. Uh, that's what they say on his you know climate emergency. So. I mean, obviously, that's just some sort of scam. I'd like to get your opinion on green energy and, you know, the future of America when it comes to independent energy. That's a total scam. And I just uh, got in a big fight with my friend about this. Uh, this friend of mine's a very big green guy. I think he actually met him recently. And he's all about the Tesla and the green energy and all this kind of stuff. And here's the thing about renewables. Renewables will never create reliable energy. They'll never create reliable, cheap energy. 
And that's because wind, solar are all intermittent. You cannot control the sun. You cannot control the wind. And so, you know, energy is on demand. I Sometimes I need to turn the lights on and need to turn the computer on. I need to get my car and drive somewhere. You need abundant, cheap energy reliably all the time. And none of those things describe solar or wind. And the thing is, there's only so much that you could even harvest of it out of a single solar cell. The maximum theoretical efficiency of a solar cell is like 30%. The sun only gives off so much energy, so you can only capture so much of that and convert it into electricity, and it's some is lost in the conversion. And so even if you have the sort of like maximum theoretical efficiency, and even if you have everybody with solar cells, and even if the technology takes this great leap forward, guess what? It's never going to be enough. You can't store it. You can't get enough of it. The batteries are not nearly what they need to be to store the energy. We, we haven't invented that yet. Um, and then at the end of the day, you can't control the sun. So it's this giant ripoff. Renewables are never going to power our economy. We're always going to need to have fossil fuels, coal, gas, oil. That's always going to be a part of it. And the thing is, coal, natural gas, and oil are virtually limitless. They're cheap, mm -hmm. they're abundant, they're efficient. We know how to harvest them in a relatively clean way. Um, so I, it's, all, it's all crony capitalism because, you know, involved in converting us to a green economy, this is trillions of dollars in capital improvements. People don't realize, you know, retrofitting all the streets, buildings, houses, you know, someone's going to make a lot of money off of the, the Green New Deal, trillions of dollars being pumped into this stuff. Um, and, and we're all going to lose because then, you know, right now it's a pretty sweet deal. You turn on the lights and the lights come on. Electricity is cheap. You know, we have a good thing. Why would we want to mess with that? Yeah, because we don't want to have the we don't want the sea level to rise. But yet they've said and I went to college 15 years ago and they said that by this time, the polar ice caps would melt and we'd be underwater. So obviously that's, you know, just a, a bunch of bullshit. OK, so tell me this. What is uh, kind of I guess my point being is I kind of like picking your brain when they say you're alt right because they call me that, too. What is some of your you can't be all alt right. Like what are some of your left leaning viewpoints, in your opinion, Nick? Um, I don't, I don't think I really have any left. None, none. I mean, none. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I mean, I guess maybe socially, like what, a, I mean, I know you're not a big fan of gay marriage. I doubt that you're probably not a big fan of the sexualization of children and trans stuff, but I'm just trying to think like, uh, I mean, there's nothing kind of liberal lefty that you could throw in their face. And be like, Hey, look, I, I support this. Uh, well, the thing is, I mean, I'm a reactionary. So, I mean, my, my, when I say right wing, it comes from the French revolution. That's the origin mm -hmm. of the term. And it's really this conflict between the Catholic Church and modernity. That's really where ideology and, and modern politics comes from, is from Machiavelli. And it comes from this tension between so-called so Athens and Jerusalem, between faith and reason. And um, so I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm a hardcore Catholic reactionary. As far as like liberal views, I mean, I, I'm, I'm honestly sort of liberal, like person to person. But in terms of like government, I think government needs to be as right wing as possible. Isn't KFC, isn't KFC like your favorite restaurant? Isn't that one of your, I mean, I love fast I do, food. I'm a, I do like I'm a KFC, fast food yeah. nut. Yeah, I'm a fast food nut. Well, that's Kentucky fried chicken. I don't know. It's, but Kentucky's kind of liberal now, right? So I guess. Yeah, it is, it is yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. So there you go. <laughs> See, your favorite chicken place is there liberal chicken. Okay, we found something. Okay. You know, and I was a big fan of this guy, and I, I've just seen clips. Now, after tonight, I'm going to watch the whole thing. i got to figure out how to watch it. But the Louis Thoreau documentary, because mm. I always, I always kind of liked Louis' documentaries on Scientology. I'm not that I love Louis, but I mean, I kind of thought his smarmy British dry humor was good. 
Uh, and they said that he tried to come after you and that for the reviews that I hear it made you seem like you more. So that's what I've heard is that just from the reviews that I've. So kind of tell me what was the process of that documentary? Did you know it was going to be a hit piece or did you know that? I guess just tell me what was your experience with that? Because that's a big deal to have Louis Thoreau. He's literally like the biggest pop culture documentarian, you know, in, in the world. Well, yeah, and that's that's why we agreed to do it because they, um, you know, they flew out to Chicago back in I think twenty uh, twenty, just just before the pandemic started, and they were trying to convince me to do this documentary because I just had a horrible experience with MTV where they did a big hit piece on me and uh, and it was like the most dishonest thing ever. Like people wouldn't believe like the the lengths that they went to to deceive me. Uh, Everything you see on TV is fake. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm just saying, guys, you don't realize it's literally I worked for the TV show Cheaters for 10 years. It's the most real show ever. I signed an NDA. But everything (laughs) else, every single thing else is fake on TV except for that show. Okay, uh, what I'm saying is go. But but uh, my point being is TV documentaries, they try to give you that this unbiased view. There's always biases with every freaking thing you see. Okay, so so MTV tries to railroad you. And then uh, so you were a little cautious. And then what happened with Louie? Yeah, so they reached out to me and they said, hey, like, it's not going to be like that. He had a horrible experience. I said, oh, okay. And I knew it was going to be a hit piece. I knew they were just lying to me. Uh, But the pandemic happened. It was sort of put on hold for a while. They came back out, said, hey, you know, we want to go to your conference. We want to follow you around a little bit. And I said, you know, this is going to be a big opportunity. And the thing is, I get attacked by the media anyway. You know, that's that's my calculus is the media has already called me every nasty thing. And they get away with it. I said, at least if I'm in a documentary, at least like there's a chance that by showing me in my own words, like like people that might like me will check me out and, you know, watch my show or something. Um, so I agreed to do it. And, you know, they fly out and, and it's very apparent it's going to be a hit piece. I mean, they're following me around. It's like, so you're a white nationalist, right? And I'm like, <laughs> no. And they're like, but you said this. And I'm like, yeah, well, in context, this is what I meant. And they're like, oh, well that's too long. Could you just say like, you're a white nationalist? And I'm like, no, I, I'm not gonna. Um, well, and- well, but the thing is, when I was a young kid, being a nationalist wasn't this derogatory term. It wasn't, you know, it means you loved your country. So it's like how they've turned that into this, this just negative connotation is uh, that's a psychological operation, but okay. So they want you. And when I say this, they, is this Louie or his producers? Like how many people on the documentary? Cause you know, I've worked in production. I imagine it's him. And then how, how many, how big is his team? How many cameramen? I'm sure it's a pretty small crew, right? It was like four people. It was yeah. him. It was this uh, cameraman. It was this producer guy. I think there might've been one other guy. Um, so, it was, but, and it was really just Louis Theroux just chatting with me and, and, you know, walking around the, walking around my place. And uh, how many days did y'all spend together? So we probably spent a week together in total. That's, a pro- that's probably a long time for a documentary, actually. I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know how it long is. he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Usually so you spend a, a week together and he's in a hotel. Then they'd call you at like nine in the morning and say, Hey, we want to go to your AFPAC or we want to go to. Were they kind of dictating what they wanted to film? Cause they're annoying like that. And they're like, we're on a schedule. So. Um, I'm just they, trying to get the process of what it was like. Yeah, they told us. Um, I mean, they were very accommodating, but they were also very pushy. You know, if we told yeah. them, hey, we don't want you to do this, they would say, oh, OK, OK, OK. But they were very pushy about what they wanted to do. Like, I remember we're at AFPAC 2, which is our big conference. We got this biz 400, 500 people there. And so we've got the stage and we've got the, the projector screens and all this. And Louis Theroux 
is standing next to the stage while the event is going on. Like everybody's yeah. eating in the, in the dining, whatever. And the stage is here. And Louis threw standing off to the side, right in front of one of our projectors. And I'm backstage. I'm like, Hey, get that fucking Anglo away from our <laughs> stage. All right. Like this is our big event. What does he think he's doing there? And you know, they were like, okay, okay. You know, we'll go away. But that's the kind of stuff. They were very pushy about it and a little sneaky. But so why was he sitting next to the stage just to get good shots, just to kind of like, just to kind of troll you, I guess, in a way? Yeah. Well, they wanted to make me look like Hitler in a in a bad way because they're like, they're showing my giant face blown up on the projector and then me on the stage, you know, yelling and raving. And so they wanted to make it look like this is ominous. This is like 1984. A, y, a, y, a KKK rally or something. That's yeah, right. you know, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it's Louis being annoying. And what was he nice to you? Because that's how people in TV are. And that's how producers especially are. Even when they're going to fuck you right in your butt, they're like, oh, we love it. Oh, this is great. We're going to do this. It's going to be, oh, we're not going to do that. I mean, they do exactly what they say they're not going to do. So was that your experience too, uh, that they were just kind of, you know, bullshit artists for lack of a better word? Yeah, because, um, you know, they told me they wanted to understand like the right wing youth on the Internet. And I was like, OK, like that's bullshit, but whatever. <laughs> and then it turns into like they, they mask their hilarious ambitions behind jokes and irony. They're deadly serious. And it was like, really? Because they told me it was going to be about oh, young kids on the Internet. And the questions are asking me. I mean, I knew based on the questioning, that's where I was headed. And I called them out during the filming. It was actually interesting. We went to this bowling alley here in Chicago and um, and off camera, I said, hey, man, I'm like, I'm a little disappointed. I'm like, you know, where's the curiosity? Don't, don't you genuinely have any curiosity about who I am or what this is about? Like every question you're asking is just everything else the media says. Why are you a racist? Why are you a Nazi? You said this off color thing one time. You said you made this joke one time. That makes you Hitler. I said, you know, you're an artist. Aren't you a documentarian? Aren't you interested and uh, he said something to the effect of, and I'm, I'm giving you the gist, he basically said, this is how we have to do it. He said, because if I go back there and do a documentary that's not sufficiently like this, he goes, then I'm going to get attacked. He yeah. said, so I, I basically have to do it this way. And I said, well, that's not really, I said, I, I understand. I said, but that's not really honest. Um, and we were sort of at an impasse about that. But he, he, he knows the jig. And I think that that's why the documentary wasn't as bad as it could have been. Because, I mean, it, it was a lot of the usual stuff. But I said a lot more controversial things to him in the course yeah. of our filming that weren't in the program. So I think that he, you know, maybe he met me and liked me enough that he said, I've got to do enough of it so that it's bad, but not enough maybe where some people might get some neutral appraisal of uh, me and, and the movement. So, um, you know, maybe he was trying to do the best he could. Well, and this podcast hadn't been really in a, a comedy podcast. As everybody thought, oh, it's going to be so funny. Nick's so funny. Alex is funny. But you really are very funny. You're really talented in that sense as a broadcaster. Did did Louie notice that? Did he ever say you're a funny guy, at least? Like, was he ever? Because, yeah, I figured, like, like even though he's left-leaning, I feel like he seems, he seems like kind of, he may be totally fake. He seems kind of down to earth a little bit. Um, I think he's a little pretentious um, oh, he because okay. he's like one of these like, I mean, he's down to earth in a sense of like, we were able to just talk and be straightforward with each other. And and yeah, we had some laughs and we enjoyed, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the time. Um, 
But, you know, while we're in the middle of shooting, his crew would be out here and he would fly back to the UK for a day to like spend the night with his kids or something. Oh, and it was wow. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's probably some really rich British guy or whatever. But OK, but yeah. but see, the only reason I say that is because one of the best interviews I ever saw was you with Tim Heidecker. That mm, is yeah, the yeah. best. <laughs> and you're just and they couldn't handle you. You were just giving them the business. I'm sure the people on the left are like, oh, they they got Nick. But you got them. Dude. You had those guys in the back and Tim Heidecker sucks he went after you know he, he's gone after uh, you know all these people that because they're you know whatever right wing he just sucks i mean tim heidecker is the absolute worst but explain that experience because i guess my point being why i bring him up he seems even worse than louis thoreau he seems like a total freak and nut job so what was your experience with that tim heidecker show it's just that yeah. one time yeah, he's a hack. I mean, uh, yeah. at least Louis Thoreau, I mean, it, that he's a documentarian. He's a little more talented. This Tim Heidecker guy is just a liberal douchebag, which is so disappointing because, you know, some of his stuff used to be funny, you know, on Adult Swim. Um, but he's just like this liberal nut job like Alec Baldwin or a lot of these other. It's disappointing yeah. when that stuff happens. And I forget exactly how that all went down. That was years ago. But um, he was doing his live stream and we had gotten into it on Twitter or something. And so I was uh, in the live chat, like, hey, bring me on. Let me call into the show. Let me call into the show. And we raided the live chat and he brings me into the call. And, uh, you know, I just shit on him for um, canceling Sam Hyde and I think yeah. a few other things. Um, and it just goes to show like these people, they're not comedians. Like they're not funny. They're just yeah. mad liberals. And the thing is, like, I'm, I have obviously have extremely strong political views, but I also really appreciate jokes and good humor and things like that. And so you'll never see me get all uptight, so uptight that I can't get a joke, you know, because I'm like a good humored individual. But these liberal people, they've totally gone off the rails. And now they like, it's not about the comedy anymore. They're all activists. They're all bleeding hearts. Um and it really sucks because, uh, you know, now that's not now there's just we have a joyless society. TV is not funny. Movies aren't funny. Nothing. Nothing's funny. Nothing's good. Everything's got to be like it's sort of like everything's got to be a freaking chore. Everything's got to be liberal and diverse and Ukraine and vaccines. And it's like even normal people are getting tired of this, aside from, you know, crazy people like me. Even normal mm -hmm. people are like, what the fuck? Like, I want to watch a funny late night show. I want to watch a funny movie or something. And uh, the society has been deprived of that entirely. Well, and that's why Top Gun did so well, because like you look at the top movies from this past year, it's like Boss Baby 2 and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But you look at the best movies of the 90s when they weren't super politically correct. They were brilliant. I mean, Shawshank Redemption, you know, Pulp Fiction. I always use those as, as examples. American Pie. Like they could never make those type of movies this day and age. Mm. Uh, but But I think it's like what I, what my point is, I don't like to be taken as a serious broadcaster or a serious pundit. I want to be taken as a comedian, which I am, because we've gotten too ultra serious. And I know you've gone after people on the right. You've gone after like Turning Point USA, and I'm actually going to the Student Action Summit. I'm, I mean, I've been kind of a Turning Point simp for the last year because they uh, they they said that they're going to put me on a speaking tour uh, in the fall, which I kind of want to do. Hey, but yeah. uh, I mean, whatever. You know, it is what it is. There's stuff that I don't like. There's stuff that you don't like. We don't have to like everything. But why? What are your complaints? Or now we've kind of gone after the liberal left, high stuff. Well, who are your complaints? I've heard you go after Shapiro as well. Why have you? Because I've gone after Ted Cruz. I've gone after Dan Crenshaw. I think we should, you know, really call the people on the right wing out because they're almost worse. It's like getting cheated on by your wife instead of just your girlfriend or, you know, or just some random floozy. When you get cheated on by the right, they're the people that look you in the face and stab you in the back. So wh what are your complaints with the kind of the right wing 
you know, political commentators in, in your opinion, Nick? Um, well, I would say that they're they're just not sufficiently conservative. And I, I'm not trying to be one of these like I, I try not to purity spiral. It's not a purity test. I'll give you an example. It's like on Daily Wire this week, they have Dave Rubin out there saying that gay surrogacy is like a morally good option. And that is just something that should be abhorrent to anybody with any kind of right wing inclination. Like you're bringing well, a child. But to, hey, but to, and I, I want to get your opinion on that. But to, I think he probably should have adopted a kid. But you don't think gay people should have kids at all? Is that your viewpoint? Because I think that's no. almost you know, okay. You don't okay. See, I, that's well, a. But I mean, you, you may my disagree. Point, well, and the only reason I disagree is there's so many kids out there. I think he probably should have adopted a kid. I think that would have been the better thing. I just think about the, you know, they always complain, the people on the left, like, oh, you don't want adoption. Who's going to raise these kids? Well, let these gay guys have them. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm a little more liberal when it comes to that than you. So I guess you're, my point being is I want to hear your why you don't like that and why that's apparent in your opinion. Well, and I was going to say you may disagree about the generality should the gay people have kids. Um but the surrogacy is particularly, and that's a separate conversation, but mm. the, the surrogacy is particularly egregious because you're bringing a child into the world with the intent of depriving them of their mother. And that's something mm. that, you know, if you are a social conservative, which you, you're a little bit more liberal, obviously, mm. but the people at Daily Wire, like Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles, those guys are Catholics. Like, there's no excuse yeah. if you're a Catholic to be on board with you know not a surrogacy but Kanye, Kanye had a bunch of surrogacy hoes what are you talking about? I mean I'm not and even trying wrong. to okay okay and I'm not saying that to talk shit I'm just saying you know did, didn't he have two surrogates that um, he put his thing I don't know I could be wrong but I, I know thought, he had I, thought one. They were all, I think they were all with Kim Kardashian right no, she had surrogates. I mean, really? she, they, yes, I know, that I, that I know. Yes. Kim Kardashian had surrogates. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. He I did. Think. That's wrong. He shouldn't okay. have done that. Okay. Uh, so it's confusing yeah. for the baby. Why is the surrogacy bad? Well, it's, it's not just because it's confusing. It's because you're, you're bringing a child into the world. It's wrong for a lot of reasons, but it's particularly wrong because you're bringing a child into the world. Again, it's one thing if you're adopting a kid, their mom died in a fire or something. I don't know, but you're, you're, creating a kid with the intention of taking them from the mother and the relationship between the mother and the infant in particular, but the mother and the child is something that is so important for the development of a child in every way. Um, and to do that is something that is, is selfish and it's cruel. And it's sort of like that King Solomon story in the Bible, you know, where the, the two mothers disagree about whose kid it is. And the king says, okay, we'll cut it in half. And the one mother says, oh no, just, just give the baby to the other one. And that's, that is the baby's real mother because she loves the child enough. And it's sort of a similar thing here. And people want to love a child. It's not a loving act to create a child and then rip the child from their mother like it's a, like it's a potato, you know, like it's something you grew in your garden, like it's a garlic <laughs> plant or something. That's a human child with a human mother and a human father. And uh, to the extent that you can, you know, children should be brought into the world to be raised by their mother and father, not sold off to uh, strangers, which is fundamentally what they are. So well, you have a point. My chats are killing me. They're calling me Jewish Illuminati. They're real <laughs> mad at me because that's fine, guys. I don't care. I, I get a lot worse. But I guess my point, because I'm so anti-abortion, I just choose life. And I know it's like, obviously, you're like a surrogate is, you know, kind of it's kind of going into that conspiracy world where they said one day they're just going to have artificial wombs for babies. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically kind of what that is, even though it's a human being that they're just a womb. They're not going to have a relationship with the baby. So in a way, it is kind of an artificial womb so yeah i mean i i get your point 100 um 
you know, it's like, is that hill? Is that the hill I'm going to die on, though? Only because I think that we should have more babies. You know, I, I, I think I was just looking at something. The whole entire population, if we lived as dense as New York City, could fit in New Zealand. So, like, the idea that, you know, global warming, climate change, and we don't have room on this planet Earth, we have room everywhere, you know? And that's why, that's why I want as much life as possible. I think that's the only way that, like, we survive as, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, humanity. You know, we're going we're gonna to all kill each other if we don't make enough babies, I think. Yeah, well, and then here's the thing. I mean, we could disagree about that in particular, but I, I guess above all, it's not even just things like that. It's that, you know, people like those at the Daily Wire and Turning Point, and I guess I should have said this first, you know, they really went against me before I went against with them. I would be really? willing to sort of coexist with more people. But, you know, with Turning Point USA as an example, my beef with them started because I took a picture with one of their employees and they fired her for being in a picture with me. Like that's Wait, the kind what? Of, Wait, yeah. really and truly, they fired somebody for being in a picture with you before you even had any beef? Wow, they're going to fire that's me right. for sure. Wow, you yeah, got to be was, kidding. That was back in September 2019, this girl, Ashley St. Clair. Um, we happened to be in oh, the I'm same Oh, I'm familiar party. with Ashley. You tell me because you and Ashley were in a picture, they dropped her as an ambassador? They fired her, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Because I of the picture. And, and, you know, and then... Um, you know, I tried to get into a turning point event and they banned me from the event. They knew who I was. Even your college age kid. Like what? Well, I'm not even trying to. Wow. I'm just surprised. Why wouldn't they see that you're because you're too far right in their opinion? Is that why? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm too far right. And uh, and the same thing with Daily Wire. You know, I uh, used to be friendly with the people at Daily Wire and they started coming after me. I think I put out on Twitter um, back in December, 2016, two years ago, six years ago, I put out a tweet and I said, you know, I'm against, if you're Mexico and you're Mexican first, you're not America first. If you're Chinese and you're China first, you're not America first. If you're Jewish and you're Israel first, you're not America first. Ben Shapiro quote tweets this and says, you're an anti-Semite. Accusing Jews of dual loyalty is a sure sign of anti-Semitism because he said that, um, because I said that. But and, Trump, Trump said Jared Kushner was Israel first out of his own yeah. words. Yeah, and no, Shapiro's know, so. a never Trumper. Wow. And, he, yeah. and why would he be a never Trumper when Trump has done more for Israel than a lot of other presidents? At least his son-in-law has done more for Israel than a lot of other presidents. So that's kind of weird, the nuancedness of like how, how we pick and choose who we hate over like small things. It's like a Seinfeld episode where you don't date the girl even though she's super hot because she has big hands. Or something, you know, it's like one little, everything else is perfect, but it's just that one thing, you just can't let it go. And so do you think you've been, and I'm not trying to make you feel like this, because I know you're not a victimhood guy, but you think you've kind of been a victim from a lot of this hate that it was uh, been unfairly laid upon you? Uh, well, I would say I've, I've been a target. I mean, it's uh, it hasn't been easy because then, like we talked about earlier, not only am I banned from all the platforms, but... Also, I'm blacklisted. And those are two separate things. You know, I'm, I'm not allowed to participate really in right wing politics in the mainstream. I can't go to I'm banned from CPAC. I'm banned from Turning Point. I'm banned from Daily Wire. I'm banned from all these things. Even when I went to uh, Blaze with Elijah Schaefer, they had a fit that I was on. No, that show. Yeah, no. Elijah really? show almost got pulled because I appeared as a guest. And, and I said some controversial stuff, but um, it's like I'm, I'm unwelcome in any of the major right-wing mainstream institutions. And, and the thing is, I'd probably be more willing to coexist 
And, it, you know, we could have a more of a diversity of thought on the right wing, but clearly it's like, yeah, they, they say this is a free marketplace of ideas. Oh, but not like that, but not with you, not with your ideas. And it's like my ideas are actually consistent with what you purport to believe in, which is Christianity, America first. I mean, you may say it's a little extreme or out there, but it's all consistent with what our first principles are as conservatives. So um, so that's been yeah, I've been a target ever since I got started doing this has been very unfair. But wow, I should have done my homework. I'm toast. You know, I'm, I work at the blaze. They're going to be mad. Everybody's going to be mad at me. And the blaze has actually been very, uh, you know, I, I feel like they're pretty open minded compared to a lot of people because, you know, Glenn went through a lot of hell and, you know, Fox News and was persecuted. I'm just saying I maybe I feel like they're a little more. Uh, cool than like Daily Wire, in my opinion. But, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, in my experience, they've been obviously the receptive of me. I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist. I wear a tinfoil hat and I'm accepting of everybody. I don't care if people have a different viewpoint than me. I don't even want to be considered like they call me all right. I don't even want to be like, obviously, I'm anti-abortion. Obviously, there's some things that I'm, you know, far right about. But at the end of the day, I do think that we need to like you know, I mean, maybe this is just me being like, oh, kumbaya, we can all hold hands and get together. But I do want to try to get along and have a copacetic relationship in society. I hate the constant division. And I think that's done on purpose. So we don't actually fix the problems. So we're fighting on Twitter instead of calling out these rhinos and these loony leftists for selling our country out to literal multinational corporations that aren't empathetic to our problems. You know, all they care about is their bottom line. So I don't know where we get there, where we call out these companies and fix all that if we can't come together, in my opinion, Nick. I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I wish that we could have a Big Ten movement. But unfortunately, the corruption runs very, very deep. And, um, you know, some of these companies like Daily Wire is a good example. They are allowed to exist on YouTube because they made a deal with YouTube. You know, like Ben Shapiro and them made a deal with Susan Wojcicki to stay on YouTube. And they said they're not going to talk about vaccines. They're not going to talk about certain things. They're all safe and effective for everybody that's playing at home. They're the most safe and effective thing, even though almonds aren't, peanuts aren't. uh, uh, The vaccine is safe and effective for all 7 billion people. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. They won't talk about the vaccine safe and effective. And it's like, so, you know, that that kind of corruption, it goes a lot deeper than just because you're right. It's trend shots, crews, it's these guys. But, you know, money is what runs politics and the money is decidedly in favor of uh, you know making more money and, and perpetuating their influence. Um, so that's kind of just how it is. I agree with you, though. I think that you need a coalition of people that are anti-globalist. You need real human beings to come together that are nationalist, America first. And they don't always have to be, you know, far right, hard right extremists, because mm. you're right. A lot of these issues are populist. And that's why there's a lot of like Bernie bros or, or other interested people. I talked to Destiny and some of Destiny's fans agree with the things that I say. Yeah, I don't of know course. Yeah, and I don't know we're going to fashion a perfectly right-left alliance, but the point is we want to get as many people as possible to say the real enemy in the country is the globalist. It's not these sort of uh, sectarian divisions, but it's just about, you know, at a certain point, a line has to be drawn, and you're either on the side of the globalist with the things we're talking about, the the Fauci and all that, or you're on the side of the patriots. And sometimes people surprise you where they land up. Well, we got about 10 minutes left. So, Nick, so tell me a little bit about your personal life. Do you drink? Do you exercise? What do you do? I don't drink either. So you don't drink? No, I, I don't. I don't drink. Uh, Good, I never that's, drink. Why you, that, that's why you're successful. What about uh, do you exercise a lot or not really? No, I don't exercise at all. Exactly. No, but you're in good shape. Well, that's good. Yeah. At least I, I didn't know. I didn't know that's how you say lean. Okay. Uh, and I'll just tell you this much. Like, 
in this day and age of like, you know, hate and all this stuff, they want to say you're so hateful. I don't get that impression. And, I, you know, people are going to be like, oh, well, he said a joke about cookies or something. I'm going to be like, oh, dude, that's a joke. So uh, do you think that, that you know, is it going to get way worse before it gets better, in your opinion, Nick? Um, yeah, I, I think it already is, you know. I mean, But the, you don't think that – it's not swinging. The pendulum's not swinging. The reason why I say this because there's a huge void, and I've been successful, in, and I've been doing this podcast now going on a little over two years, and I've started to really be successful in the past six months, and I think that's because there's a void in being people being politically incorrect. So do you think that you'll ever be able to really fill that void again, maybe not in the mainstream uh, social media platforms, but, th- dude, CNN Plus died in two weeks. Like CNN, all these d- dinosaur media companies, within five years, or you're such a young man. When you're 33, you're still going to be young. The whole landscape of media is going to be completely different than what it is now. It'll probably be all subscription-based. It'll probably be all pick-and-choose, a la carte media. So I think for you, if you stay on it, this is just me giving you my opinion. I think there's a, you have a very good chance of succeeding because people will be, you know, once, once it gets to that, a la carte media. I, I think a lot of people will pick you and watch you if you're, just still, if you're still entertaining and still doing it, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that just sort of presupposes that tech censorship won't get worse than it already is because, you know, there will come a day, I believe, when Cloudflare bans more people and the um, ISPs may exert influence and the payment processors could, I mean, we're, we're banned from all the payment processors, you know, like we don't have subscriptions on Cozy because we're banned from all the payment processors. There's like not a the bank, in, there's, there's not like a bank in the U.S. Virgin Islands or something like that. There's not even anything like that, Nick, that I, I mean, hope you I'm not going to disclose my secrets, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're going yeah, to yeah. Have to, we're gonna have to go out of America. We're gonna <laughs> out, go out of America, out of, okay, as yeah, I to say. Yeah, yeah, to, okay, yeah. To get processing. So, um, it, and, you know, you look at where tech censorship is headed, it keeps going further and further up that ladder from platform all the way up to the back-end services, and eventually you get to a cartel. MasterCard and Visa are a cartel. Apple App Store is a cartel. Um, you know, and so unless the legal framework changes, unless these sort of monopolies are changed, you know, the sort of market uh, changes, then, you know, unfortunately, like I said, there's just not like a really great solution. You either have to be on the platforms and then it's very difficult off the platforms like you. You're on YouTube, you're on Twitter um, and you do, you got to, you know, now it's my turn to give you advice. You yeah, got to keep those as long yeah. as you can, man. You got to sink yeah. your fucking teeth <laughs> into them and never let go because. And I, you know, and I did that. I tried to hang on. I got banned. It's really something that's not so much in your control, but it's like those platforms are so crucial. And I tell that to everybody that's not banned yet. It's like it's it's an invaluable asset to have access to those um, because without them, things, you know, and I've been I've been doing okay without them, but it just makes things a lot more difficult without them. So uh, but you've been doing amazing. It's been incredible because uh, I've, I've seen your stuff before. And just in the past six months, you're just like, you're like the number one rock star on the right wing. So I hope it keeps yeah. going. Uh, the stuff with AOC, Crenshaw, it's like, I haven't seen anything that funny since Groyper War. So. Yeah, well, and I'm going, I'm getting, I'm, I might get an apartment. Or, I mean, just Airbnbs. I'm going to go to DC every month. They're not really in session much in August, but I'm already going back the second week of September for a full week, full five days. I'm going to sit on those Capitol steps until <laughs> I get Nancy Pelosi, until I get every single one of them. Okay. So, uh, you know, Nick, it's just, you know, I'm definitely going to get canceled from everything now for having you on, but I do want to form a relationship with you because I think for a, a young man, your age, what you've seen, man, at 23, I mean, I was literally just like, I had a Tahoe. I moved to Los Angeles. Angeles and I was like just a bomb and you've done a lot are you money motivated though I know we don't have to get to your finances I guess my point being for me what I've really learned is 
I mean, now that I've started to make some money, now my YouTube and people are like, oh, sell this, shill this. And I kind of don't want to shill stuff. My point being is, I think for me, I've been really, my, I'm not money motivated. I'm not materialistic because I think I see a lot of people that my age that are like have a lot of money, but are in like unhappy marriages and stress and this and that. So what about you? Are you money motivated or is that, is that a big part of your motivation? Because probably not. You probably are more of a passionate guy, right? Or am I wrong? Yeah, you're totally right. I um I am not money motivated at all, and I've really made hardly any money for probably since January sixth. And you know, I bring in a lot of money, but I also spend a lot of money because I have yeah. this website to keep up, and I've got a staff, and I've got lots of things. So in terms of um you know making money, I spend lots of money. But as far as like in personal enrichment, um you know. You're, I could tell you this, being banned from every bank in the country is not like really good for personal enrichment. I mean, like, every bank, though, Nick, there, there has to be some local bank that'll deal with you. Is that really true? In the bank? There's not some bank of Chicago or some bank of whatever, you know, there's not. Uh, that's really the case. Even those little banks won't deal with you. Cause I, cause I'm out in Texas. Like I'm, I bank at some small banks in Fairfield, Texas. I feel like even if I got kicked off the internet, they'd still take my money. I, I think, I hope. Well, I mean, I have a bank account, but in terms of payment yeah. processing and I've yeah, been no. banned, my personal stuff has been banned from a few major banks, but in terms of my payment processing, even the censorship proof banks, Will not, because we've been through every censorship proof payment processor you can imagine, and we've been through all their banks, and there's, we've tried banks in China, we've tried banks in Russia, it doesn't work. Um, so, you know, uh, and you're, and and you don't want to have to use a bank in China. Wow. And you've had to do that. And I mean, it still didn't work. No, we tried a a U.S. like a branch of a Chinese bank doesn't work. So it's like, if I were money motivated, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be in the mainstream, raking in the money, doing bullshit. Um, but this is what we have to do. So, and and that's the thing. If, If you go from making tons of money to making like very little money, overnight and you go from having lots of money to the government takes all your money overnight. If you were motivated by money, you'd be like, I quit. I'm going to do something where I can make money. But it, it was not about the money for me. I didn't start making money to, until two years into this. And I really kind of stopped making money uh, to, in the past two years. I really made money for like one, two years while I was doing this. Uh, and it was very good. And I made lots of money with my investments and I still make a good living. Um, but, but yeah, it's not, that's not the motivator. It's about, like you said, the passion. I like to make people laugh. I like to tell the truth. I like to do the show. I like to be the rogue, the most canceled guy. So, uh, that's where, and I, and I love when I watch your cozy stream, the thing is you say the N words here, and I know you say it ironically, you can't say that, Nick, you gotta stop. I mean, don't, don't do whatever you want. I know I tell you not to do it. Well, Gino Bisconte on, 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 you know, on, uh, on Kumia's network, he says it all the time, too. I'm just saying, even though it's funny, everybody said that word, including myself. It's not, and anybody on the left has all said that word. It just doesn't, it's just like hate fuel for them. Okay, uh, you know, that's why I'd only, they, listen, you do your own thing. Don't take my advice. And it's funny the way you have a very funny way of saying uh, words. So I'm not going to tell you how to be in order, but that word maybe you should stop using. But, uh, okay, so tell me this. You're a family man, though, Nick, too. So uh, what does your family think about all this? Because my dad um, thinks I'm crazy. Yeah, I saw that article. Uh, yeah, hey, magazine. Yeah, he's That's a bitch. Horrible. And my mom, and my mom was my biggest fan, and he died. But you know, it's funny because my dad's a, my dad is a. I love my dad. He's one of my good friends. But he's a pussy. He doesn't like any attention. He hates it. Now I, you know, I went. and I spoke at this young Republicans event. Had nearly 400 people there, and he showed up. He couldn't believe it. He's like, "Wow, you really are kind of popular." My point being is, my dad just doesn't get the vision. 
He doesn't yes. get, he doesn't know I'm on a stream. You know, I'm like that, you know, he'll call me sometimes. He's like, well, you're live. I'm like, yeah, I'm li-. he doesn't, he doesn't even know what a freaking live stream is. Right. So my point being is, well, how is your family receptive of you, Nick? Uh, they support it. I mean, they, um, my parents have always supported me, you know, cause I've, the thing is I've always been Nick Fuentes, even before I was like Nick Fuentes doing the show, I was like Nick Fuentes in high school and everything. And so my parents have always been supportive and uh, they don't agree with everything. They don't agree. Like my mom gives me crap all the time. You shouldn't say that about women. My mom tells me, Nicholas, I'm a woman. And what you say offends me. And I'm like, mom, like that reaction is why I have to say it. Okay. Like that's, that's why I have to say it. So when we joke about it, we kind of go back and forth. Um, and my dad doesn't agree with everything. Cause my parents are boomers. I mean, they're literally yeah. boomers. Um, as I have older parents, but they, but they support me because I'm their son, you know, it's personal. Um, and they, they think it's courageous what I do. They think it's honorable. You know, they, they don't get it. Like, you know, your father doesn't get it because they're, mm. they're like my, my parents, they watch cozy and they're like, they talk to their friends and they're like, you got to see the money they give to these kids for playing games. Like it's, mm. so, they don't get it at all. It's, yeah, but, they they yeah. don't see the vision. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so tell me this though, this is the last thing we're going to wrap things up. So it's like, you know, you're canceled this and that you're going through it. What, uh, what's next for Nick? Like, what do you think? Cause, cause I'm sure you kind of have to feel kind of almost like redundant. Sometimes that's why I feel like I'm always changing it. And that's why I like Andy Coffin because sometimes even people don't laugh at his jokes. He kind of laughs at the audience, not getting it. So my point being is like, what, you know, I know you're motivated, but like, what is, what is your kind of game plan and what do you foresee in the future of Nick Fuentes in the next like year to a couple of years in your opinion? Um, well, in the next year, a couple of years, I'd like to be more involved in politics. You know, I mean, I, I do a show and you know, there are some people that do a show for 30 years, you know, look at like Sean Hannity, just because yeah. the same, he literally, literally he does sucks. the exact same yeah. show every night for, for <laughs> yeah. decades. Or the um, CIA pill, the pill, oh, sorry. Yeah, right. And, uh, and the e-cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. you know, and and MMA that. fighting. Yeah, yeah, we, I can do oh, that. Yeah, Hopefully yeah. I will do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know, we didn't even get into conspiracies. We got to do this again. If I don't get canceled too hard, I definitely want to talk again because we didn't even get into conspiracies. We didn't even get into 9-11 or any of that because I really wanted to get to know you, Nick, because you're such an interesting young man. And like I said, this isn't the – I didn't bring my knee pads to kiss your ass the whole time. I just, I just wanted to get to know you uh, because, honestly – I look at unique individuals and people that are, you know, are trying to be canceled. I'm like, oh man, that's cool. That's edgy. I want to be edgy. I don't want to be cookie cutter. I don't want to be, you know, status quo. I don't I want to be the opposite of Seth Rogen. I want to be the opposite of what Howard Stern's turned to do. I want to be Howard Stern in 1996. You know, so that's why I like you because you're America first. You're not afraid to say what you feel. And I think in a world where everybody's afraid of the opinions of strangers, you care the less about opinions of strangers of anybody, even Anthony Cumia, even I'm sorry, even Sam Hyde, even all the other comedians that I think are brilliant guys. I think you give less, you know, fucks than all those guys combined, in my opinion. Well, thank you very much. That's a very nice compliment because uh, it's true. <laughs> it's a very high praise. So <laughs> thank you. And it's great to get to know you as well. Uh, hopefully we can get to know each other better because. Uh, we're all huge fans of what you do at America First, too. So, And it is America First. These other, these idiots that are freaking putting America last, these globalists, they are the literal the worst people in the world because they are subjugating us to this future of hell, like literal hell. Mm. And that's that's not, you know, the conservative world, everything's demonic and satanic, but you're, you're going to be in a hell where it's 109 degrees out and you're not going to be able to have, right now we're having like, a, they might have grid lockdowns where they have, you know, rolling blackouts. So it's like literally 109. I'm hot right now with my AC blasting. It's still 86. 
six in my house. They're going to like make us burn and our houses or freeze. And they made us freeze. The grid went off in Texas not that long ago. We froze. It was a pain in the butt. So they actually don't care about us. The people in the power, as a matter of fact, they want to keep us sick, dumb, stupid, confused, and control us. So I think people like you, you break people out of that matrix. So that's why I appreciate you the most, Nick. Thank you, man. I appreciate you too. Okay, guys, go to Cozy. It's in the description. You're going to find uh, Nick's channel. Make sure to go support Nick. Like he said, at one point he was a rich young man. Now he's still, he's now he's struggling a little more. He's not struggling. He's never he's I'm built still up a, rich. I'm he's still, still rich. rich. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so I just want him to go support you. He says Nick's still fine. And at 23, I was broke as a joke. So you're dominating. So keep up the good work. Guys, please don't cancel me for all the people watching at home. I'm just, just because I'm friends with Nick and, you know, him and I are going to team up and probably break the new world order down ourselves. Don't be threatened. You know, we'll, we'll bring you along with us. We'll, we'll help you out. We'll lift you up when the world, uh, you know, takes a crap on you. All right, Nick, thank you so much, guys. Make sure to go follow Koji. Make sure you guys, obviously, Nick's more popular than me, so it's an honor to have you on, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yes, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Peace.